Welcome to our new monthly series, Word of the Month, where we choose a word and we ask our guests to share three inspiring ideas of Torah that connect with a specific theme or time of year connected to that word. As we are going through Bainam at Tarim, three weeks leading up to Tisha B'Av, we have partnered up with some of our previous guests and given them a word to explore. As we speak to Rabbanit Nechab and Golden Barash, let's find out what word we have challenged her with and we hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you, Nechama, for coming on today. It's great to have you on again. So we have challenged you by giving you a word. This word we have asked you to use as a springboard towards sharing Torah for Bainam Etzarim. Three pieces of Torah which connect Bainam Etzarim and the word we have given you to use is Achdut. So are you ready to go into your first idea with the word Achdut? I am, um, Darcy, and thank you for having me back. I'm of year. It's very meaningful to be able to teach Torah. So the first piece of Torah I would bring. So Darcy, I'm going to go kind of broad because we think of Achdut as being something that unifies us. And that's what Achdut is. But the story I'm going to bring is about an Achdut that goes beyond, I would say, rationality or becomes a harness for unbridled kind of ideology to the point of destruction. And uh, and the question of Achdut at this time of year brings me back to the end of Bayit Sheni, where there was Achdut between the Kohanim and uh, between factions of the people, right? And yet the Achdut that was happening at the time of Bayit Sheni ended up leading to the destruction of the temple. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what I mean. So there's a famous story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. It's possible others have brought it. I'm not going to go in depth into the story. I'm just going to give a little bit of a background because it leads to the story that I want. So the Gemara in Gitin, um, in which the unity of a particular sect of Jews really leads to inflexibility and inability to compromise. So on one hand, we really, we like Achdut and we like to encourage Achdut. And I would say right now in Israel, um, the disagreements between people, citizens are becoming quite intense and everyone's talking about Haskama, some sort of agreement, compromise, coming back together, right? We don't like to fracture. On the other hand, sometimes there's too much unity around an ideology that becomes uh, excessive or extreme, and that can be negative unity because then individuals can't sound out warnings, perhaps, if they think things are becoming too extreme. Individuals can't then criticize the unified front because everyone has gotten swept up into Achdut, if you know what I mean. So the source I'm thinking about is after the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, um, there is, you know, essentially it is a story in which a man means to invite his friend Kamsa and mistakenly invites his enemy Bar Kamsa. And what unfolds from that story has nothing to do with Achdut, but it has to do with enmity and hatred between the Jews that really leads to um, Bar Kamsa going to the Romans and squealing on his fellow Jews. He doesn't really even squeal. He basically um, he basically tells the emperor to send a sacrifice that he blemishes so that the Kohanim and the Rabbanim will uh, possibly not accept the Korban, right? That's what ends up happening. 
and Zakai comes along and he uh, essentially recognizes that Jerusalem is no longer uh, revivable. There's nothing to do. There's too much hatred. There's too much enmity. There's too much zealotry. There's too much corruption, right? The Kohanim are corrupt and the Rabbanim are ineffective. And the people have unified around a common cause. That common cause is hatred for the Romans, but almost without any sort of um, baseline. In other words, yes, the Romans are wicked. No one likes the Romans. However, to have that degree of hatred where we're going to fight to the last person, even if the Romans are willing to throw us a bone, compromise back down from Jerusalem, that becomes unsustainable. And so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai essentially recognizes that he needs to leave Jerusalem. And so the part that I want to come up to is the text where there are certain zealots in Jerusalem. The sages say, let's go make peace with the Romans. The zealots, again, this very strong unified front, lots of achdut, do not allow them to do this. So we have, you know, like I said earlier, the Chachamim are trying to push against the achdut of the zealots and are unsuccessful. So then what happens? They even, what did the zealots do? They burned down storehouses of wheat and barley belonging to the Jews to intensify the famine so that people will have no choice but to join their army, right? It's it's insane, right? The degree to which this unity is taking people. Like, it's all or nothing. You're with us or we're going to make sure you die. We're going to starve you. We're going to we're going to kill you, right, potentially. And so Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai then wants to get out of the city in order to try to uh, essentially meet with Vespasian, the emperor, and he's not yet the emperor. He's going to become the emperor and he asks for Yavna. We know that's a very famous story. But the part that's also astonishing there is that um, his nephew, who is Abbasikara, who is the head of the zealots, he's the leader of, the, they're called Biryone. He calls his nephew and says, help me get out of the city. And his nephew says, they're not going to listen to me. Meaning, I know they're my men, but in some ways they've gone beyond what I wanted them to do, right? Like they're now so unified that even if I, the leader, come in, they're not going to listen to me. And so he gives Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai a method, a method of uh, faking death, putting rotten meat near his body so he could be snuck out of Jerusalem. Even then, Abbasikara has to intervene. His his Biryone, his zealots, want to poke the body to make sure Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is really dead. Uh, Abbasikara talks them out of it. And, uh, and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai then has the the famous meeting with Vespasian, where Vespasian says to him, now that you've predicted I'm going to become emperor and I've become emperor, what can I give you? And he asks for Yavne, which has within it Yibane, right? Sometimes things have become so extreme, so inflexible, so united in inflexibility that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, okay, we have to go somewhere else and start over. And what he wants to do in Yavne is study Torah with his students. He wants to daven. He wants to raise up tefillah and um, and essentially work on acts of ma'asim tovim of uh, of kindness between one another. So that's the first source I want to bring, Darcy. Any comments? Any thoughts? Anywhere you want? You know. Yeah, it's a great it's a great choice. Uh, classic text um, in the context of Tisha B'av, um, and a great message for us to have unity and achdut. It's a message to have unity when unity fits with 
everything else we're striving for. In other words, when unity fits in with what our gedolim, our rabbanim, our Torah, our mitzvot are directing us towards, then achdut is wonderful. But when it becomes counterproductive, when the unity is fighting the Romans to the last man, when compromise with the Romans might have given us more years with the Beit HaMikdash, that's when we have to, you know, we have to think about what true achdut means. Absolutely. So should we go into your second piece? Yes, let's go to the second source. Um, the second source I want to bring is um, Rabban, Rabbi Yassi. And it's Rabbi Yassi in, in the Chorba. Rabbi Yassi, who after the temple is destroyed, is so bereft at the loss of the temple. I'm in Brachot now, and it's Daf Gimel, Ahmed Aleph, 3a. And it's, a very, again, also a famous story and perfect for this time of year. Rabbi Yassi travels on the ro road to go to one of the ruins of Jerusalem to pray. And at the beginning of the story, you're kind of like, oh, that makes sense. You know, you need to dive in Mincha when you're on a trip. And, um, and so that's what you do. You find somewhere to pray. He's on a trip. He finds somewhere to pray. Great. Good job. But what, what happens in the story, as the story unfolds, is Eliyahu Hanavi is waiting for him outside of the Chorva, outside of the ruin. And Eliyahu Hanavi gives him Musar, gives him Musar, and says to him, you uh, you shouldn't have done that. And Rabbi Yassi says, well, Rabbi, I, I had a daven and I was on a journey. And he says, you know, when you're on a journey and you have to daven, you just keep journeying. You don't stop because there's danger in stopping. You daven a short prayer. And by the way, you really shouldn't go into a ruin. And then Rabbi Yassi thanks him for the Musar. He accepts the halachot that Eliyahu has taught him. And Eliyahu now turns to him and says, let me ask you something. What voice do you hear in the Chorva? What do you hear in the ruin? And Rabbi Yassi says, well, I hear the Batkol. And I hear the Batkol, the, the feminine voice of God, um, essentially crying over the destruction. And the Batkol coos in the mournful way of a dove and says, I heard a heavenly voice, uh, sorry, and says, woe to me because I destroyed my house and burned my temple and exiled my son among the nations of the world. In other words, Rabbi Yossi, we now realize, has traveled specifically to Jerusalem, not to hop a mincha on the side of the road because it's getting late in the day, but because he knows that in the Chorva, in this ruin, in the Chorva of Yerushalayim, there is a batkol, a sound of God's mourning over the destruction, a heavenly voice, a divine voice, crying like a dove and really immersed in sorrow over the Chorban, over the Chorban. But it's a very solitary experience, right? We're meant to, you know, here's a man, you feel he's, he's riding on his donkey alone on the roads into Jerusalem, which have been cleared by the Romans. Jews are not allowed in Jerusalem at this period of time. So it's a very solitary journey he makes his way into a ruin, which is an abandoned structure, and he hears the batkol, but he's the only one who's hearing the batkol, right? And so Eliyahu says to him, yeah, you know what? I'm going to share more with you. The batkol, that batkol cries three times a day. If you want to come back three times a day, or you just want to plant yourself in the ruin, you'll be able to hear this divine voice, this heavenly voice crying over the destruction. 
And if that really satisfies you, comforts you in some way, okay, you know, you could really immerse yourself all alone in this ruin, hearing the Bach call. But now I'm going to tell you a secret because the story, of course, doesn't end there. He says, I'm going to tell you that there's something else going on that B'nai Yisrael, the people of Israel, are engaged in, in a unified way, Achdu, right? We said the word is Achdu. And what is that? It's at the time that the people do the will of Hashem, of God, and enter the synagogues and houses of study and answer, Amen, right? That God's name is great. It actually is the prayer that becomes part of Kaddish. Kaddish does not yet exist in the way we know of it in the Talmud. But this idea that when the people walk into the shul or the Beit Midrash, and they daven, and they learn Torah. They're moved to cry out, God's name is still great. And Eliyahu says to Rabbi Yassi, and do you know what God's doing? When these simple people, unified around prayer and Torah, come together, God is nodding his head, and God is saying, um, fortunate is the king who is praised in his house. Woe to the sons who have been exiled from their father's table. In other words, God, every time someone davens, every time someone learns Torah, and of course, the Beit Knesset, the Beit Midrash, are places of gathering. It's where there's achdud. We may disagree about a lot of things, but we all come together to daven. We all come together to learn Torah. And when those moments happen, Eliyahu says, God is not mourning over the past. God is very much in the present. In. Fortunate is the king who is praised in his house. His house is no longer the temple. His house is the Beit Knesset, is the Beit Midrash. So you, Rabbi Yassi, are missing out because in your solitude, you're experiencing the batkol. You're hearing the batkol. But when the Jews gather in a unified way to daven and to learn Torah, it is eliciting, eliciting an active response of God in those moments. So you're immersed in the past, but the people, the nation who are moving forward and rebuilding and building their houses of study and houses of prayer are actually doing far more than having a cooing bat call in the ruin. Every time God actively nods God's head in the present, in the moment, and that's far more effective for BSE. And these people don't even know that it's happening. And yet they're gathering because they feel intuitively, instinctively that when we gather together um, to learn and to daven, we elicit that response that, that without even knowing it, we know it. So that's the second source I want to bring, a much more optimistic source. I love that. Um, I think that's an amazing choice. Um, the idea of the Bermajash, the Bekanessa, two of the pillars um, of, you know, our Jewish identity of our Avodah Hashem um, and I think a great message in that we should remember that especially not just during this time but always we should reflect on our Torah learning our davening and our relationship with Hashem um, really important so the third source I'm going to really follow now 
I brought one, um, I hope, thoughtful source. The first one, it, it was a little, it was negative in the sense that achdut can be positive and negative as almost anything we experience in our lives can be when it goes sour, when it becomes unhealthy, right? The second source was about the amazing potential um, to elicit connection with God when we gather in our houses of study and prayer. And the last one is also going to be one of optimism because really, I, I wish that our lead, your your listeners um, are are growth oriented, right? Growth motivated in terms of their relationship with God, and think about our responsibility for moments of destruction, not just our enemies who who spew forth, you know, suffering and destruction and terrible things. But where are we? What is our accountability in those moments? Um, I also want to take us towards growth, right? And so learning Torah, davening, right? Those are things we do together, even when we disagree. Those can create tremendous achdut. And the last source, and it's a short one, also involves Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. So I said, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is the one who asked for Yavne, Yibane, a place which can be rebuilt into the future. And um, and this story is in Avot Rabbi Natan, uh, chapter four. Rabbi, Yoch- Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai left Jerusalem and Rabbi Yoshua, his student, followed him. And he saw the holy temple destroyed. And Rabbi Yoshua turns to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and says, Woe to us, for this is destroyed, the place where all of Israel's sins are forgiven. And of course, he's referring to the Avodah of Yom Kippur, the Avodah of the Kohen Gadol, right? This awareness that the entire nation holds their breath, waiting to hear that the Kohen Gadol has emerged from the Kodesh Kadoshim in safety, has emerged from the Holy of Holies safe, safely. And that is the atonement for all of the nation together. Where are we going to get that, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, now that the temple is destroyed? Woe to us! We will no longer, as a nation, be able to achieve that kind of uniform atonement. And Rabbi Yochanan turns to him and says, My son, do not be distressed, for we have a form of atonement just like it. And what is that? acts of kindness. And he quotes Tehillim, for I desire kindness, not a well-being offering. That's that's something that the Mechaber, right, that, that, that Tehillim says, that bringing a korban that doesn't go deeper than the animal that you're bringing, that's not what I desire, says God in Tehillim. I desire acts of kindness. And so we find also that Daniel, in, in the Sefer Daniel, would busy himself with acts of kindness. And um, and uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai uh, goes on to essentially say that as long as we can unite around chesed, as long as we take up the mantle of chesed, of acts of kindness towards one another, we will achieve a national atonement. But of course, the burden is no longer carry, carried by one person, the Kohen Gadol. Every one of us has the opportunity to do acts of chesed on a regular, ongoing basis. And there's another source that brings very specific examples. I want to end with it. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai tells us, unite around chesed. Because if you unite around chesed, we will achieve atonement. We will be great. And uh, a source in Moe Katan goes a little bit further and says, if you do acts of chesed, you are following in God's footsteps. Remember, we're created, we're created in the image of God. And the Talmudic source 
brings four examples of what it means to following God's footsteps in doing acts of chesed, because God did acts of chesed. The first is that God clothed the naked, right? He clothed Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden. That idea that we should make sure those around us have clothing that uh, makes them feel dignified. God visits the sick, and uh, and we have God visiting Avram Avinu after he is circumcised. God comforts the mourner, and they bring a text around Yitzchak after Avraham dies, and God buries the dead, and they bring the source that God buries Moshe Rabbeinu. And so this idea, and, and if we think about the, the all four of those examples, all four of those are both individual and communal. The idea that communities need to be aware of individuals in need. The idea that communities need to organize around a family struggling with illness, uh, around a shiva, right? Comforting the mourners, the chevra kadisha that buries the dead. So it's it's achdut in the sense that only when we have unity within our communities are individuals fully cared for. And that elicits into the world Selim Elohim, right? That's the divine spirit going on in the world. And so um, that's really the source I want to end with, right? It's it's so easy, it's so accessible to do acts of chesed. Everywhere we look, there is that possibility, there is that potential. And especially over the next few days until we get to Tisha B'Av, and uh, I would say every day is an opportunity to do chesed. But if we want to go a little deeper, looking for a tikkun, a tikkun for the negativity, to the toxicity, to the destruction, to the violence, to the suffering, I think the tikkun can come, as Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, through acts of chesed. Absolutely. Um, great ending message, I think, for everyone to think about during this time. Um, really, I think Akhtat and Chesed come together really nicely. Um, and great choices, great stories. And thank you so much for sharing such great Torah with us. Okay, you are so welcome. Everyone have a meaningful nine days and an easy and meaningful fast as it approaches. And uh, I look forward to learning more Torah with you, Darcy. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.